Welcome back to another episode of Brand Like a Girl, the podcast. It's your favorite girl, Nia Imani. And today I am here with Marlene Francois Madden. Marlene Francois Madden is a licensed psychotherapist, phenomenal speaker, entrepreneur, and best-selling author of The State of Black Girls, a go-to guide for creating safe spaces for Black girls. With over 15 years of clinical experience, she has become a sought-after expert in mental health, trauma, self-care, and girls' leadership. Marlene has shared her expertise at dozens of universities, colleges, community organizations, churches, and conferences, including the Congressional Black Caucus for Women and Girls. She has she was also named by the White House as a nominated changemaker at the State of the Women's Summit during the Obama administration. Marlene has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Penn State University and a master's of social work degree from Rutgers University. She is a licensed clinical social worker in New Jersey, and her work has been featured on the Huffington Post, Hot 97, Fox 5, Bustle, Business Insider, and various media platforms. So everyone, please welcome Marlene Francois Madden. Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So I want to just start off by, you know, kind of asking you, what's your story? You know, what's your purpose? And honestly, what is your why for the reasons that you have decided to um, become a licensed psychotherapist, you know, choose to tackle mental health when it comes to the black and black community? Yes, absolutely. So I've always knew I want to go in this profession. Ever since I was five years old, I told my parents I'm going to become a therapist. And so at a young age, they've started investing in me. They would buy me books on psychology. And from there, I learned that this is something I want to do. I tried to do everything else under the sun, even after I graduated from college. I, I was like, well, maybe I can go to med school because I had a really close girlfriend of mine that was applying to med school. And then I was like, well, maybe mm-hmm. I can go to law school because some of my other friends were going to law school. And every time I tried to pick up another book that had nothing to do with mental health or psychology, I recognized that it was a burden. Like I could not do it. And I even got to the point where mm-hmm. I took a Kaplan LSAT course. And anyone who knows that LSAT is like the SATs to get into law school. Took that course. My parents spent a lot of money on this course. I would leave work, go and take this course and try to study. And I got the worst score ever on that exam that probably would not even get me to law school at all. And that's what happened. I didn't get into any law school, but I was also applying to social work programs and I got into every social work program. So it was like, it was like moments like that, that reminded me that the path, the purpose that you have for yourself, it's going to, it's going to be it's going to be, not that it's going to be a breeze, but you're going to recognize that it's going to be easier to get there despite challenges you face where everything else, the door is just going to keep shutting. Um, so it was just like, all right, I need to just listen and do this. And for me, I've always had a passion and heart for working with adolescent girls, especially girls of color. That has been my passion. So a lot of my work has been centered around that and just looking at a lot of the statistics that are out there and what I can do and how I can create an impact and using a lot of my creative mindset that I have to make things more fun and creative when I'm working as a therapist. Thank you for sharing. I definitely love that you touched on, you know, a lot of times we try to, you know, 
dibble and dabble into different things. And I won't even say call it like running away from your passion. It is very true that, you know, the things that you are good at and that you're, you know, that are your purpose, they might not necessarily be easy, but they will come, you know, a little more naturally to you than, you know, something just trying to make something fit in your life that doesn't necessarily align. Yes, I agree. I agree. Awesome. So I want you to kind of touch a little bit um, more in depth on how you definitely got started in your current industry and the work that you are doing. Yeah. So like I said, I've always knew this is the work that I've wanted to do. What I did was going into college, I went to Penn State, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. And and what's crazy is that when you're going for a major, you have some core classes that you have to take. And the introductory to psychology class, I got a D in a class. And if anyone knows, when you go to college, if you get a D and a core class for that particular major, you have to repeat the class or find an alternative degree. And at that mm-hmm. moment, I had to repeat the class in order for me to move on and take other psychology-related classes. So I had to do that class over in the summertime when I went home for the summer at a local university. And I ended up getting an A in that class, but that almost made me not want to go pursue the degree because when I got the D in the class, I was like, but I thought this was my passion. I thought this is what I want to do. How did I get a D in the intro class? And from there, every, uh, every class that I I've taken, whether it was like adolescent psychology or school psychology, whatever the classes were, and within the psychology field, I ended up getting an A in every other class from there on. And I think one of the things um, that was helpful for me when I went to Penn State was that I connected with my department chair. Whoever was the department chair of my programs, I made sure I took as many classes up as possible with them because those were the professors that were tenure. They were there Monday through Friday nine to five or even after hours. So I took a lot of classes with them. I told them about some of my career goals and I was able to land four different internships before I even graduated. So by the time I graduated college, I had two years of work experience under my belt and they were paid. My last year was a paid internship for the entire year. And that helped me tremendously where as soon as I graduated on Saturday, I was offered a full-time job starting that Monday at one of their other programs. Oh, yes. Wow. So I got the full-time job, started working, and now you're working and you're not doing school. And I wasn't used to that. You know, you're used to going to school from kindergarten all the way to the time you graduate college. And it's like, okay, where's, where, there's no school. Where's my social life? And reconnecting with people <laughs> back in my old right. hometown and, and my college friends are going to grad school or they're back home where everyone's trying to find a job. So it was like this weird place. And that's where the whole idea of law school, med school, and all these other programs just dropped in my spirit, which was not even for me. But from there, um, once I mm-hmm. once I started working, I started working in child protective services and I was burnt out. I was drained out. And I, I just knew there was more. I knew for me, I wanted to pursue my master's so I can eventually become a private practice therapist. And so I applied to grad school. Grad school was about two years. And I had multiple internships while I was in grad school because you have two years worth of internships um, for the master's in social work program. So you do one year Mm -hmm. in one place and another year at another place. And of course, every program is structured differently, but that's the way majority of master's in social work programs are. They're a two-year, 60-credit course program that you take. And um, once I graduated, I took like a little time off, like maybe a month off. And then I started working from there. But for me, I'm big on networking. And I find that being able to network, that helps you to get into rooms so much. And 
I found I found yeah, that definitely. a lot of people were struggling with finding jobs. But for me, I was getting job offers everywhere. I was applying to jobs. So before I even graduated, what I did was because um, when you have a social work degree, you have to when you graduate, you have to become licensed. You have to take a state exam to become licensed in your state. So for me, what I did was I applied to like 50 jobs a day. I was applying to jobs back to back. So that way I can get a job offer by the time I pass my exam. And I passed my exam the week before graduation because I knew it took a few months before they gave you the physical copy of the exam. I prepped myself. I wanted to prep myself so I can make sure I have all the opportunities that I wanted. And I knew for me, I wanted to go and work in a psychiatric setting so I can learn a lot about mental health and what mental illnesses look like. What does it look like when someone's manic? What does it look like when someone is hearing voices? What does it look like when someone's suicidal? I wanted to know what those things look like. So I had to position myself in a certain way. And networking was a major piece to help me to get to where I'm at right now. Mentorship and um, mentorship and networking, I would say. Definitely. Thank you. Yes. And networking is essential. I know a lot of times, you know, as students and as just, you know, professionals, creatives in any industry, we think, you know, not saying that our talent alone won't open doors for us, but it's not necessarily always about who, what you know. It is about who you know, and how you can utilize your network to, you know, put you in better situations so that you're able to, you know, basically, you know, meet your goals and be successful within your industry. So thank you so much for touching on that. You're welcome. So I know that you published your book, The State of Black Girls, a go-to guide for creating safe spaces, creating safe spaces for black girls. So I want to know, um, I, I, I guess it is a bit self-explanatory. What was your driving force for it? But I want to hear, you know, what was the ultimate driving force for you creating this book? And what are some key takeaways that you want your readers to receive? I had many reasons why I created this book. And what I will say, one of the reasons, I'm going to give you several reasons why I created this book. So one of the reasons why I created this book, as I was diving into my career, a lot of times as mental health professionals, we utilize books and resources to work with our clients. And every time I went on Amazon to find like self-help book on anxiety, self-help book on sexual trauma, um, any books relating to girls, there was never a black girl on the cover. So for me, that became problematic. Mm -hmm. And then I recognized a lot of disparities with the school to prison pipeline of girls because black girls are six times more likely to get suspended from school. For the same thing everybody else is doing, but they get suspended at a, at a higher rate. So I saw things like that and I'm like, something mm -hmm. is wrong. And then on top of that, um, I was a survivor of sexual abuse as a child between the ages of eight and 11. And I said to myself, what was it that helped me to kind of cope and get through those times? And for me, it was reading magazines that had like um, column sections that talked about health-related topics. And I would read stories and hear like what were people's mm -hmm. strategies and what helped them. And so I just knew like I needed to create a resource guide, a tool, something for girls that would, would make them feel supported and heard and feel empowered because I knew that the, the, the death rates by suicide was increasing for Black youths. And it was like, okay, who's addressing this? We know it's out there. We know the statistics and we see it happening. Last year, there were several, you know, even this year, there were several teens that, that died by suicide. And for me, that was becoming an issue. And I'm like, I need to create something where, you know, black girls can pick up this book and it's very short. You can read different topics. You can read about sisterhood. You can read about self-care. You have a black girl affirmation here. If you're dealing with self-harm, you can read about that. College planning, read about that. So I wanted them to have something that they can just pick up and read and be like, wow, I feel like she really gets me. Like 
talking about natural hair and colorism. So I wanted them to have something where they felt like, wow, like somebody finally gets what I'm going through, but they're not just something you can read, but it has like journal prompts and activities. So I really felt like that was necessary for girls to have. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know for me personally, you know, in college, um, I think just growing up in the, the black community in general, a lot of times we aren't provided with like healthy skills or the I would say even just the knowledge on how to cope with, you know, the different mental health, um, not even issues, but the different mental health things that we do go through. So I really appreciate you for, you know, creating this um, outlet and this asset so that people can have something to turn to, especially when it comes to it being from a woman. Who you're looks welcome. Like you're them. welcome. So I thank you for that. So I know that you recently launched a um, the therapist, your therapist planner. Um, so I wanted to know, you know, why did you feel that that was a necessity specifically for therapists? Yes. Yeah, so I've been doing the therapist planner for about three years now. We're going into our fourth year launch for 2020. And it came out of the fact that I'm a, I love planners. I love going to home goods and targets and buying all these cute little planners and books. But what I recognized was that during this time, like a lot of people were doing planners that were, that were geared towards certain niche or certain fields and industries. And I would see things for like marriage planners or finance planners, budgeting planners. And I'm like, you know what? Let me create one for therapists where not only you Mm -hmm. have somewhere to track your appointments when you see your clients, but you also have an index that talks about like different mental health diagnoses that we utilize because we have certain codes that we have to put in when we're seeing clients. Um, something that shows like the different Mm -hmm. medications, like the common medication for people that suffer with depression or anxiety or bipolar. And so I wanted something like that where therapists can kind of utilize that section. And for me, like I said, like the creative mindset just came out of me because it's not something we learn in our school of training when we become therapists. They don't teach us about the business side of things. They don't teach us how to monetize our expertise and do things outside of just seeing clients or working at an agency. And for me, I knew I had that gift and I'm like, I mm-hmm. want to be able to monetize my opportunity, create a, an additional passive income stream that is sustainable and profitable. So that is where the idea came from to start the therapist planner. And, you know, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes when it comes to creating planners that people don't realize. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's, it makes me feel good when I see other therapists doing a photo shoot with their planners when they're graduating from grad school or when they're posting, you know, their cute pictures online and saying how the planner has helped them to kind of stay on task with getting their things, you know, getting things done. So it makes me happy to know that I was able to provide a, a product that has been beneficial for a lot of professionals. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So I would like for you to tell us about um, a time that you failed. And what lessons you learned from that failure? Oh, yes, definitely. So when it comes to this profession that I'm in, after you get licensed, there's a second license you have to get. Of course, it's state specific, but this is most states. It's called licensed clinical social work. And once you get that LCSW, they call it, that is when you can go into private practice, start your own business and all that good stuff. Well, I was eligible to take this exam two years after grad school. And I ended up failing the exam by one mm-hmm. point. And so I, when you fail the exam, you have to wait 90 days before you can take the exam again. And it costs money. Like it's like $250, I think, to take this exam. And it's a four-hour exam to take. So when I failed the exam, I waited a whole year later, studied again, took the exam, failed it a second time. Took it a third time a year later wow. and failed it again. 
And I use every study strategy. I was like, let me go ghost and not be on social media for like six months. Like I was doing anything and everything possible. I was taking a lot of exams. And a friend of mine said, Marlene, this is your Goliath. That's what this is. Like you're going to pass. And for me, I didn't want to just give up and say, well, forget this. I'm not going to become, I'm not going to go into private practice. Let me just find an alternative route. Let me become a life coach and just not offer therapy services. I knew I still needed to push hard and do this. So finally, the fourth time, I passed the exam. And yeah, so I would encourage anyone, if you ever fail at something, don't look at it as a failure. Look at it as a lesson. So sometimes that rejection is a protection from something you're pursuing. And if I would have passed the first try, I would have went into private practice way Mm -hmm. too early before I needed to go and try to figure things out. Or not only that, That time that I didn't pass the exam, I was working somewhere else where I was still doing outpatient therapy. All the lives that I impacted at that agency, I I wouldn't have impacted those lives if I had passed the exam and went off and started my business because then I wouldn't have worked for someone for all those years. And it was important for me. And even after I passed the exam and I could have went into my own private practice, I spent a year and a half working for somebody else's private practice to kind of learn and make sure I was doing things the right way. Cause I didn't just want to jump into it right away. And it was one of the best decisions I could have made. Yes. So your failures or your losses are never, you know, it's never that it's, it's all about the perspective that you take from it and how you turn it into an actual lesson and a positive. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing that with us. You're welcome. So I want to know what has been most rewarding in your work? Most rewarding in my work, I would say when I get to do speaking engagements, speaking Mm. engagements with teen girls, when I get to walk into a room and share with them about a topic, whether it's about anxiety or trauma um, and make them feel heard and seen. Like when I'm able to walk in that room, we talk about something and see the tears come down their their face and, you know, for them to feel like, wow, somebody finally gets me and just to Mm -hmm. give them self-care tools and strategies, that right there is rewarding for me. When I can let them leave the room with journals and and their own little self-care kits, that makes me happy. So I would say that's the most rewarding thing in my profession for me right now. Awesome. Thank you. What has been the best career advice you've received thus far? Best career advice? Don't be afraid of the rooms that you go into. Because sometimes we walk into rooms that are very powerful and we think that we don't belong there. You belong there. You belong in that room. So keep your chin up. Don't don't mm-hmm. dim down your light and, you know, master what it is that you're doing and perfect that craft and just walk in it. Definitely. Yes. Imposter syndrome can be, you know, so detrimental to our confidence and, you know, how we set our goals for ourselves. Well, you know, if if you feel like you don't see yourself being represented in that, in those rooms or at those tables, a lot of times we see those goals as not being attainable. So I definitely think that's important. Like you said, to like know that you're supposed to be there no matter what. Yes. Awesome. So what advice would you give young women interested in what you're doing, but feel that that industry might be a bit oversaturated or they might not know where to even begin? I would say start off with a lot of research. There are tons of like YouTube videos and things on Google as far as like going into this profession. I have several YouTube videos out that talks about this work that I do. 
Um, outside of that, I would say the field is not oversaturated, especially when it comes to minority women. It is not oversaturated. We need more people. Not just that, like you can create a niche. So for me, my niche is working with women and adolescent girls who struggle with anxiety and depression, where for someone else, their niche mm-hmm. may be they're a sex therapist. Someone else may work with only right. um, couples or you have another person who just may do be a play therapist and they work with children under 12. So it's a matter of defining mm-hmm. what it is you want to do. So go into the profession and find what you're good at and just master it. Because when you're able to create a niche, you will never be out of business. Exactly. Yes. And it's, it's, I'm, I love that you touch on that because, you know, I'm currently in the process of writing a book and I'm really, what I want to focus and hone in on is, you know, when it comes to your industries, there's never too many someone doing this. You know, we all live in different states. And like you said, it's important that you have a niche because we can, you and I could post, possibly be bloggers or influencers, but the the audience that you speak to and the audience that I speak to, they might be the same, but they also might be different in the way that we utilize our voices to reach others is different. So we're both needed in this area. And it's, you know, it's not a competition. It's more so us filling up space that is actually needed. So thank you so much for on that. Awesome. So I wanted to know, do you have any projects that's coming up that you would like to share to, you know, Yeah. So one of the things that I'm doing with the state of black girls is that we have curriculum programs that we're rolling out. And so then that way, you know, different organizations, if they're looking at having me come in and do workshops or talks for their audience, if they'd like to buy the book in bulk for their organization, that's something that I'm working on. Um, doing and also 2020 planner Mm -hmm. will be rolling out late this fall. So that's coming out. And, um, next year I'm going to just be doing a lot of work for other, other women that identify as catalysts for teen girls and women that are looking to boss up and level up as far as their brand and, you know, monetize their expertise. I'm going to be doing a lot of work around that and helping them to make sure that they're creating their story and, and becoming, you know, successful and their particular niche as it relates to working with girls and women. Awesome. So I love that you even just touched on branding. So the podcast is the Brand Like a Girl podcast. So I want to know how do you brand like a girl and what sets you apart from others in the industry and how you remain authentic? I like to say I am an innovator when it comes to the mental health profession. Um, I'm a game changer. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to say that I, yeah, game, yeah, I would say game changer. So my, my job is to disrupt the narrative when it comes to mental health of black girls. So, so that's what it is. So that's what sets me apart is that I am mm-hmm. working really aggressively to address the issues that black girls are dealing with. Alrighty. So we have reached the speed round of this podcast. So I just want to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. And you only have two seconds to answer. Okay. All right. So what's your favorite book? Uh, who moved my cheese? Okay. Um, sh- a show that you're loving. Oh my gosh. All American. No power, power, <laughs> power. Definitely. <laughs> power is the show. Yes. <laughs> um, did you like that? They changed the song with Trey songs. No, no. And I need 50 cents. To, I think he's putting it back to Joe. So I hope he does. Yes. Cause I heard it was not it. No, it's <laughs> definitely not it. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I want to know what are some podcasts others should be listening to? Therapy for Black Girls, Blessed and Bossed Up, Redefining Wealth, Access and Opportunity by Carla Harris, 
um, apartment investing building. Um, those are the ones that I'm listening to currently that I think others should listen to. Thank you. And what is your um, current beauty fave right now? I would say Carl's Blueberry Bliss. That's like my favorite line right now. So I'm using their products in my hair. Awesome. I do love curls. And what is a quote that you live by? Um, whew, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000 by Maya Angelou. Ooh, that's, that was deep. I like that quote. Okay. So thank you. You passed the thank speed round. And we are coming to the close of the podcast. And I want to um, allow you the opportunity to, you know, let the audience know where they can find you on social media, whether it's um, your book, whether it's where you are on your, what platforms you're on. And if they were interested in booking you for a speaking engagement, anything like that, I want to know where they can find you. Absolutely. So my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's all Marlene Francois, M-A-R-L-I-N-E-F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. That's also my website, MarlenePrancois.com. Everything is housed there. So even if you go on my Instagram, you click the link in my bio, you'll get the links to everything that I do. Thank you so much, Marlene, for um, speaking on the podcast today. I definitely um, love the work that you're doing and definitely love that you are an advocate for, you know, black and brown women and girls, especially when it comes to their mental health. I'm wishing you much success and I'm looking forward to, you know, staying connected with you. And I hope that the the listeners really, you know, take um, your insight from this podcast and can apply it to their life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.